God, as we open your word, pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. We want to hear from you. Um, we don't want to just, God, just keep us from being religious people. We don't want the spirit of religion in us. We want your Holy Spirit in us. We want to be the people who, um, who are alive because your spirit is in us. And so help us see what you want us to see in your word today. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So actually, it was funny to say to the movie thing because part of this sermon was generated by me watching part of the Christmas story, you know, you shoot your eye out, kid, all right? We always preach from the Bible. I'm not preaching from the movie, but that kind of generated some thoughts. that I really think God kind of put some things together in my head that he wanted me to say this morning, all right? So the starting thing, here's the theme of the day is Santa's throne. And I don't know how well you can see. Is it, is it hard to see with the light in here? It's okay? Okay. I'm going to show you three different thrones that you could buy for Santa's throne, and you're going to have to choose which one you would buy, all right? And I'll tell you how much they cost after you choose, all right? Here's choice number one. And you can't really see, but it's green on the outline and, yellow, and uh, red on the inside with gold trim. That's chair number one. All right, and you'll, I'll put them all in one. Next one. This one is a little different style, goldish, kind of the red, maroon. These are all life-size things. You can buy them on the Internet. I'll give you the information if you want to buy one later. All right. Next one. This one's kind of a funky-looking one. All right. So next slide. Here's all three chairs. I want... I want you to decide which one you would buy, all right? So you have to commit. I'm going to ask who wants A, who wants B, who wants C. Maybe we'll use Exodus budget money to buy one of these. Just kidding, all right? Who would say they, for Santa's chair, you know, you're going to the mall and you see a Santa in a chair or whatever, Santa's throne. Who would say uh, choice A, Santa's throne? Wow, okay. Choice B, Santa's throne. Choice C, Santa's throne. All right. Choice, choice A is on sale right now for $1,199. Used to be $1,500. Choice B, on sale right now for $1,530. Used to be $2,550. However, that one's out of stock right now. You'll have to wait till next year. Choice C, how, who wants to guess how much that one costs? How much? You're off by about $7,000. $10,000. For that one, it's also out of stock in case you'd be disappointed. My question when I looked at these was, who buys these? I mean, why don't, why don't you make a fake one, all right? But anyway, my favorite one, I didn't have this up with the next one. This one is a little more ornate. Uh, it has a footstool with it, too. This one is, uh, uh, this was like $3,000. But then here's one that we, you may want to consider. Go to the next one. Uh, this one is Walmart, $89. And it's a cardboard cutout, but you have to supply your own chair. All right, so uh, it was fun, but I thought, who buys those expensive ones? I just go with Walmart and put a nice chair underneath it. But I, it got me, so I was thinking about the whole thing about Santa's throne, and um, when we were, I was watching um, Christmas Story, and they were waiting in line to see Santa on his throne, I was kind of thinking, why, why is he on a throne, and what does the throne represent, and I'm going to make a Christmas connection here, but... So, and there's, these, there's different movies where we have this, these throne kind of things. So go to the next slide there, too. Uh, Miracle on 34th Street. The girl's, you know, sitting on Santa's lap. He's on a throne. Next one. Um, go to the next slide. This is uh, the next one. If, yeah, you can't see that one. That's Ralphie sitting on Santa. That one was the one where I, 
there's like this real long line in the mall to wait to sit on Santa's lap, who's sitting on his throne. And that's Ralphie, and uh, Santa tells me to shoot your eye out, kid. My favorite one, though, is this one, though, is where uh, Will Ferrell playing Elf is telling Santa, what's the, what's the line he tells him? You sit on a, on a throne of lies. Everybody knew that one. Wow. You sit on a throne of lies. You smell like beef and cheese, whatever it was. Um, but when I thought, I was thinking about, you know, you, you think about Christmas and you think about, uh, I, don't, I don't know that I ever stood in line for a mall Santa on a throne. And I can't remember, maybe once or twice with our kids, because there was a mall Santa on a throne at my parents' or my in-laws' place or in, their mall, in a mall. But I thought, you just think of all the, what the Santa on a throne represents. And the first time actually that happened in the U.S. was about 1841. Somebody in Philadelphia, some store, put a, put a live Santa you could come see and visit, and then it started from there, and that's been the American tradition ever since, all right? But you think about, so everything, and I, when I was watching the, whether it was Elf or whichever one I was watching with the throne, you think about, you know, when kids are getting close to see Santa, it's like there's these hopes, there's these wishes, their desires, and they want to tell Santa what they want for Christmas, and they're so excited about it. They're a little bit afraid, but they're excited about it. And, and then how many times what they wanted they didn't get. Or they, you know, we, but, and it made me, then it made me think about Christmas in general. Christmas, we start thinking, is this, we have these grand expectations for desires, dreams, wants, and wishes. Not simply for the right kind of present. But it's kind of the, oh, we expect these, we, we have these expectations of what, our family relationships will be like during Christmas, or we have these expectations of what our marriage is going to be like during Christmas, or this, and we have all these real, really sometimes heavy expectations about what Christmas is going to be, and uh, and the desires and the, all those things we want for. And if we're honest, and if I'm honest, it, Christmas has never really matched what I was hoping for. All right, and I'm not saying the kind of gifts I get. I'm just saying. You, you expect there should be some kind of a feeling, right? Because this is Christmas. And, and so <clears throat> I, like the, I like the Santa Claus stuff and the throne stuff. And I'm not saying we shouldn't, you shouldn't have those expectations. Because what I think, this is how I think God orchestrates things like that. I think those kind of things are set in motion for us. And then they stop at a certain place because so they can't fulfill because God wants to see that he wants to fulfill the very desire that was that stirred up like in Christmas. Like when my kids used to ask me, you know, Santa real or whatever, my response used to be, he works for God. Because <laughs> I wanted, a, and there was a reason, I wanted him to realize, you know what, it's okay to have these hopes and wishes and magical dreams about Santa and Christmas. Those desires are, we're, we're hardwired in those. God made us that way to desire Dreams, hopes, wishes, wants, better relationships, fuller life. That, we're wired for that. But we can never have it apart from what God can provide. So sometimes God puts those things in our lives or in our, the rhythm of our lives so it might stir some of the desire that he put in us. He didn't put in a desire for us for Santa Claus. So in a, in a weird kind of way, so if, when really kids are approaching the throne of Santa... I don't know, maybe they're really learning how to, what it means to approach God. Because I want, we want, you want, I want, I want, to, I want the 
I want my desires and my dreams and my wishes and my hopes and this magical feeling, which I'll just say is really a spiritual thing that I think God wants, I want it to be fulfilled in what God does. So, so this whole idea of Santa on a throne is not a, it's not a, a, it's not a bad thing. Unless you, I mean, it's a bad thing if you want to spend $10,000 for a Santa chair. It's a total waste of money. But anyway, that's, but the whole idea of the throne kind of captured me. And then I thought, so um, then I thought, okay, let's, this ties into Christmas. And this, as much as I've read the Christmas story, and you have too, this is a phrase, I know it's been in there, but I never really noticed it before. So this, is, this, this next phrase I'm put up there is from Luke chapter 1, when the angel Gabriel appears to Mary. So uh, Mary's 14, 15, we don't know how old she was. Gabriel, the angel, shows up to her like in a, in a massive, incredible way. She's totally a lowly, um, most likely uneducated, illiterate person, but she had a heart for God. And this is part of what uh, Gabriel says to her, go to this next slide. So if you remember, Hail Mary, Lord is with you. Then he says, you'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Then he has another sentence or so. Then he says this, the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. I had never thought about that before. Here at the very annunciation of Jesus' birth, the angels telling Gabriel, I'm sorry, Gabriel's telling Mary, this baby you're going to have, he's going to sit on a throne. And it's like, wow, she, she's still trying to comprehend being pregnant without having sex with her husband or her boy or fiance at the time. But he says, no, he's going to have a throne. He's going to have the throne of his father, David. So it kind of got me thinking about the throne. Now, so what would Mary have been thinking then, right? What was Mary thinking when the... Uh, apart from other things about how did she get pregnant, but when she's told by the angel, he is going to be given the throne of his ancestor David, King David in the Old Testament. Here's what Mary would have been thinking, right? Because every Jewish person knew what the throne of David meant. It was a time of, it was a time of the greatest prosperity in the history of God's people. The kingdom had great prosperity. David was a great king. He was a flawed man, but he was a great king. But ever since the destruction of that kingdom, when they were overrun by Babylonians and Syrians and other people, the hunger of the Jewish people was always for the reestablishment of the throne of David. And again, think of what a throne represents, whether it's uh, elf or Christmas story or any other throne room scene you've seen. It, it represents power, represents authority. I mean, power to make my wishes come true, right? Power to, to have my desires become into reality. It represents power, authority, um, judgment, rule. There's a place in Scripture where it talks about the, the throne representing wisdom. So when you approach the throne of Santa, or you approach, you know, the throne of the king, and the king and I, and Anna, and this king and Simon, whatever movie you want, there's always this sense of this, there's a seriousness, but there's this sense of this person has the ability to make my life full and complete. They could also destroy me, but they have the ability to do something for me that no one else can do. Because sitting on that throne represented their authority and their power. So Mary, being a young Jewish girl, would have known 
the Old Testament stories about the throne of David. Um, the Bible talks about the throne of glory. So he, they, every, as soon as the angel mentioned that term, Mary would have known he, it was a reference back to the glory days of Israel when life was thriving for God and his, God's people. But it was, always, it was also the root of the hunger of God's people of that's what the Messiah will come to do for you. He will reestablish the throne of David. And of course, he came, to, he came to do way more than just establish an earthly kingdom in the city of Jerusalem. So when Mary hears this, he's going he's to have the throne of his ancestor David. He's, this, the, he's the one. He's the Messiah. He's the one who's going to not only reestablish what God, the, th- the thriving nature of the community of God's people, but he's going to be the one who has the power and the authority and the wisdom to fulfill your desires, to make your wishes and wants and dreams come true, not in a Santa Claus kind of way, but in a powerful way that only the Messiah can do. And so there's this sense of, of this throne that Jesus has. So from birth, he was, he was, it was announced from birth he was going to have a throne. And this sense of, again, I want you to think about what the throne represents. It's the place where our desires not only are met, but they can be, they can be fulfilled because he, that person on the throne has the ability and the power and the authority to fulfill the desires. Now remember, the Bible tells us that God gives us the desires of our hearts. I'm not, again, I'm not saying... If you want a new car for Christmas, just tell God that's what you desire, you're going to get one. It's not the same thing. The desires of our heart are deeper than that. They're way deeper than just a new thing or a new toy for you to have. But the desires of your heart, your, your desires might have something to do like mine do with the quality of relationships you have or don't have. It, it's maybe it's about your own heart and your own uh, attitudes about life. Those desires, I think, of what the very thing that when God says he gives us the desires of our heart. And the king on the throne, he grants those desires. He loves granting those desires because the king on the throne uh, represents generosity. That's what Santa Claus represents to us generosity, but the, the throne room in the Bible scenes represents generosity. And so all throughout the Old Testament, there's four or five passages where it talks about the throne of David being where the Messiah will sit someday. So Mary, of course, would have jumped right to that because she was a well-schooled, I mean, not, not schooled, as a Jewish girl, but she would have known all the stories from the Old Testament. And that her son, this little baby, is going to be eventually the one that sits on the throne. So then the question becomes, how do, how do we approach the throne then? I mean, I, I'm thinking about the long line in the Christmas story movie. They're all standing in line waiting to get a chance at Santa Claus who smells like beef and cheese or whatever. And what, what does that mean for us? How do we approach the Messiah on the throne? with our wishes and wants and desires and hopes and dreams for you, for your family, for your marriage, for your kids, for your future? How, how do we approach that? What do we do? So a couple things. And uh, leave, leave it on this slide. I, do I have the, he, I don't think I do. Do I have the Hebrews 1? No, not Hebrews 4, Hebrews 1. I don't have that one. So leave it on here right now because I want us to read the Hebrews 1 passage because this, this is continuing with the throne, the throne theme. So the book of Hebrews starts out with the issue with the reason the book was written because some of the people were confusing the role of angels and angels being just as great as Jesus. And 
So the book of Hebrews starts out by talking about this is what the angels are about. But then the author in chapter 1 says, but this is what God says to Jesus. So it's God the Father talking to Jesus because he's wanting to show the, how high and exalted Jesus is. And this is what he says. This is God talking to Jesus. So it's kind of funny when you think about the language here. Your throne, O God. So this is God talking to Jesus. Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Then again, this is the Father talking to Jesus. Your throne endures forever. You rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and you hate evil. Therefore, God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. I love that line. This, you're on the throne. God's saying this to Jesus. You rule. You have justice. You, you love justice. You hate evil. But you also have been immersed in joy like no one else. Just God has anointed you, pouring out the oil on, of joy on you more than anyone else. So not only is the throne a place to go for wishes, hopes, dreams, it's, it's the place you go for joy. It's the place you go because if Jesus has the oil of joy anointed on him more than anybody else, he's the source of it. So again, back to Christmas standing in line for Santa on his throne. Really what your little kids or my little kids or when I was a kid or whatever, what we're looking for, we're looking for joy. That's what Christmas morning is about, joy, right? So the fact that Hebrews talks about that Jesus uh, from God's own lips says, you rule with justice and you hate evil. But you've been anointed with oil of joy like no one else ever has been, ever will, or ever will be. So it is the fountain of joy in that sense so then we'll finish with this one this is this is later in the book of hebrews and this uh this passage i thought of immediately when i was when i was watching uh ralphie and the christmas story because i I like kind of making those connections in my head because this is where the author of the book of hebrews tells us so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. And when he had just been talking about Jesus, so he's talking about the throne of Jesus, the throne that he, that he, that angel told Mary he'd have from day one, the throne that earlier in the book of Hebrews he says it's, it's a place where he rules with justice and mercy and he has oil of joy all over him. But we can come boldly. There's not a fear or a timidity about a approaching God with, with those requests, those desires. Um, there's a passage in the Old Testament, the book of Esther. Esther was the queen. She was the queen. But even then, in that context, she knew that if she went to the king uninvited for a request, she could be killed. I mean, she was the queen. But the protocols were... You don't approach the throne unless you've been invited. And so you think of even all those kind of dynamics there, but then you think about the author saying, no, we, you can come boldly to the throne of grace. Like, I'm imagining, like, running. Come boldly to the throne of grace. No shame, no fear, no condemnation. We can come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we'll receive his mercy 
and will find grace to help us when we need it most. So, yeah, yeah. Let's let's throw in a Santa for Christmas, and it's fun. And there are things God gives us we ask for otherwise. But it seems like this passage is telling us sometimes, and maybe more often than not, we approach the throne because we are in desperate need of His mercy, and we need grace. Because, and, and I'm thinking right now, you could probably. Uh, you can think right now of some situation in your life now where you would say, yeah, I, I desperately need God to show up in that, in that area. Maybe it's in your life. Maybe it's in some relationships, marriage. Maybe it's your kids. Uh, maybe it's just some great anxiety you have, uh, legitimate, whether it's future or finances or whatever. And because the picture I see in this, is, there's a boldness there, but there's also a desperation. You know, we can receive his mercy and we find grace to help us when we need it most. Need it most is the operative term there, right? So what is it right now for you? If, if we're not going to Santa Claus asking for a BB gun or a new G.I. Joe doll, that was my era, or whatever, but what, would you, what are you asking God for right now? Or maybe what would you ask God for, but you've stopped asking because you don't know that he really cares? Or you don't know that what you're asking for is even legitimate to ask for because you question your own desires. Or you're just not sure if you've lived a good enough life so far to get what, maybe you're not on the nice list, maybe you're on the naughty list of God. He doesn't have that, right? There's no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. So the question I'll just ask again is what is it you would ask if you could bold it? Not you can, because you can. As you boldly approach the throne of grace, what is it you would ask for that you are in need of in your life? That you know now only, only can be accomplished if the Holy Spirit does something. Only through God's supernatural power, his grace, and his mercy. That's the only way that's going to happen. I mean, asking God for tangible things or, you know, swimming pools, and like that that's, I'm not talking about. I'm talking about the things that you know God, you've got to do something in this situation because I need it right now. It's needed. And you may be thinking of a family member who's far from God. You may be thinking of the um, state of a relationship you have with mom or dad or a husband or wife or son or daughter, and you're just like, God, we, just, we need a breakthrough here because we know that God's desire, the king on the throne's desire is for justice and mercy and joy and wholeness. That's what he wants for his people. That's what he wants for his kingdom. So what is that thing for you? Or things, maybe there's more than one for you. And maybe, maybe over the next few weeks prior to Christmas, yeah, there's things you want for Christmas, and those are all good, those are good. Maybe there's something you pray for for the next few weeks that maybe either have stopped praying for, stopped asking for, not sure if you should ask for. Maybe the next two weeks you, you approach the throne of grace and you ask boldly for something that you know that is needed right now. Uh, and don't give up on God. Don't think he can't hear you or won't hear you. Don't even think, well, he can't do it. I've asked before and he doesn't pull through. You still need, we still come boldly and we ask, right? So I'm going to close your eyes. And God, I'm going to just ask you right now, God, to bring to mind for each one of us at least one thing. 
that you want us to pray for, you want us to ask you for, something that we need. Again, it might be on behalf of a family member. It might be on our own needs. It might be our own relationships, but we'll just bring that to mind. And then just with your eyes closed, I'm just going to ask you just to open your palm upward, just in front of you on your lap or whatever. And what I'm saying that signifies is you've put in that palm what you're asking God for that you need, that you think is needed, and you're releasing that as a prayer to God right now. And I have my own. I have three things that are coming out of my hand right now. So God, as we, uh, as we open up our hearts to you, and you've said we can come boldly. And so we will. We're not going to offer any kind of, of uh, caveats or excuses. Or um, we're not going to beg. You don't want us to beg you in prayer. You just want us to ask you. So God, for those who may be asking for uh, a wholeness or a healing um, in their own heart. Maybe it's a forgiveness issue from the past. Maybe it's a, just the issue of of anger, impatience, whatever. God, I pray you to bring healing because it's what they need most and you said you give mercy and grace of those things we need most. God, if their issue, if what they're asking for is a relational restoration or relational wholeness uh, in their marriage, in their family, God, I pray that you would uh, bring, you would pour mercy and grace into that situation and supernaturally bring wholeness because you, you said you'd do that when we need it most or whether it's for a, a family member who's far from you or doesn't know you at all or doesn't walk with you and this person sits heavy on our hearts and God, would you, uh, we're asking boldly on their behalf that you would do something in their hearts to turn them to you. Uh, we've said before, we've just said earlier that we want the hand of the Lord to be on us so people will turn to follow you. So, but will you, will you put your hand on those individuals so they would turn to follow you? So, God, whatever it is, uh, I just pray that even this Christmas season that in the midst of joy and children and laughter and wishes and gifts and presents, that we let that, uh, that we, don't, we, don't, uh, we don't stop thinking of those things, but we let that be kind of a shadow of the larger throne, the only throne where there's power and joy and generosity and justice and mercy, and that's your throne, and would we come to you with the deepest desires of our hearts um, because we know you can do that, and we know you will do that, and you've promised to do that. So would you, uh, would you, as you sit on David's throne, and would you, if you sit on the throne of justice, you sit on the throne of mercy and generosity. Um, let us approach that Jesus during Christmas, the one that Gabriel told Mary that you had, and you have. You have the throne. You have the power and the authority. And, uh, but you call us, us your friends. We don't need to come fearfully. You call us your friends. So we ask you as friends, we ask you boldly um, to hear our prayers. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. 
So uh, every Sunday we finish an Exodus with communion. So um, at the Last Supper, Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, broken for you, shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins, but it was all about the restoration of relationship with God. It was all about the restoration of relationship with God. It was all about, uh, and then there's actually a passage in Hebrews where it says, uh, when he died, the veil was torn. Speak, speak, the image of the big curtain in the temple between the rest of the people and like the holy of holy places. But the imagery for me is the throne room is now open access for everybody to come boldly and ask. So even as you come this morning, I want you to think about this. Jesus, the Bible tells us he opened up this new and living way to have a relationship with God, with the king, with the throne. So um, let me pray and then we'll... Uh, Actually, let me pray. Then I just realized I forgot to pour grape juice in here. So we'll take care of that as soon as I pray. So, God, thank you for, thank you for the, the, uh, the body and the blood of Jesus. Thank you for your life inside of us. And thank you that uh, even as we come to this table, um, it's like coming to the throne. It's coming that you, you've invited us to come boldly. You've invited us to come without fear, shame, or condemnation. Um, you've invited us to come as your friends. You hear us, and you willingly and generously want to pour yourself into us. So even as this, we this, drink this cup and eat the bread that you've, you pour yourselves into us. So God, would you do that as we take this into our bodies? Would you remind us um, that you, your spirit is in us? And we can have a bold and friendly relationship with you as we ask for the deepest desires of our hearts. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.